Today on Blue 58, two preseason games down, two to go. What do we know about the Packers that we didn't know already? And whose stock is rising and falling? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. I hope you enjoyed preseason game number two last night because... There's not a lot to enjoy, but I hope you had fun nonetheless. I certainly did. It's I think it's fun to see these games, even if they're not the most entertaining things in the world. If only for the guys that you have on the list uh, of players that you're watching that end up never making a roster. And you look back a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, and think, man, remember when we were really really hung up on whether it was going to be Alan Lazard or Darius Shepard that was making the roster instead of Trevor Davis. Whatever happened to those guys? Not saying either of those guys isn't going to make the roster, just two names pulling out of the hat. I think that part is interesting, and watching where these guys surface elsewhere throughout the league, throughout their careers, is interesting to me. As to the Packers, though, I'm not sure we're learning all that much about this team. If you look back at these first two games and wonder what, if anything, we knew about the team that we didn't know going into the preseason, I think it's it's hard to identify anything in particular. That's not really an indictment of this process so far or the team as much as just a curiosity. It's just kind of worked out that way that we haven't learned anything about this team. Heading into the first preseason game, we wondered what the offense would look like under Matt LaFleur, what the defense would look like in its second year under uh, Mike Pettin, and how various position battles would shake out. And so far, we haven't seen much of the offense because it's been Deshaun Kaiser and Tim Boyle, and it's been pretty vanilla even under those guys. The defense has somehow been even more vanilla. And those position battles, well, we've gotten a little bit of movement there, but nothing super unexpected, especially with some of them kind of turning on injuries. We'll get to that in a second. I wonder would things have really been much different if Rodgers had been in last night? Maybe, but maybe not. I don't think he would have played just a whole ton, especially with how much we saw Deshaun Kaiser, which wasn't a lot. It's also fair to wonder if this is going to change anywhere in the near future. We've got the quote-unquote dress rehearsal game in Game 3, which is the the traditional characterization of that third preseason game. That's how most teams um, play it. They have a lot of guys, a lot of starters, playing a lot of minutes, a lot of reps, just trying to get prepped for that first regular season game because the fourth game is really kind of that talent show game, all about the individual showing what they can do, why they deserve one of those last few unaccounted for roster spots, or trying to put something on tape for somebody else throughout the league. I don't think this is really going to move the needle a lot for the Packers the next couple of weeks. I don't think they're going to throw Rodgers out there for a couple full quarters into the second half. I just don't think it's going to work out that way. And comments from Matt LaFleur seem to back that up. He says Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be good to go even if he doesn't play a whole ton, even at all in the preseason. I do think he's going to play a little bit next week or or maybe a quarter or so, but we'll see. We just may go into the regular season with a big mystery on our hands, and there's not a whole lot we can do about that. It's just the way things have played out so far. We did get a couple interesting individual performances last night, and I'd like to talk about one in particular today. We've got to talk about Curtis Bolton. We were setting him up as a potential contender for a roster spot in the last episode, and I think he did exactly what he needed to do against the Ravens. He had a stereotypical, this is what you need to do to make the club type game. He had a couple nice tackles on defense after getting essentially the start alongside Blake Martinez. I don't know if he was actually in on that first play. Could go back and look, I suppose. But he was in there on that first drive and he was flying around and doing some good things. One thing I really like about Curtis Bolton is whatever he does, he seems to get there 
fast. He seems to go hard and, and get where he's going in a hurry. That was the big drawback with Antonio Morrison last year, as we talked about in the last episode. And that's occasionally been an issue with, with Oren Burks, though not for lack of athleticism with him. He just seems to have a little bit more trouble seeing it sometimes. It, it takes a little bit while, a uh, little, little while longer for him to process things than some other linebackers. Bolton doesn't seem to have that issue. So he had a couple of nice tackles on defense. He came up with that interception, although he wasn't the primary cause of that interception. Somebody's got to catch it, and he happened to be the guy there making plays. That's always good to see. He also came up with a couple special teams tackles, and that's what we identified as a big path to the roster thing for him. Even if he doesn't end up playing significant reps alongside Blake Martinez, they need special teams guys, and you can make the the roster playing special teams. He did kind of overrun a play real bad towards the end of the first half, but that's fine. That happens to everybody, and he's a rookie. That's going to happen, and it, it ended up not really costing the Packers anything at all. So, real great performance, I thought, from Curtis Bolton. Uh, really stood out as an individual, and I think he's as good as a, a lock to make the roster now. I think that's that's all I would have needed to see from him, and if he's doing similar things to what he did in last night's game in practice. It's probably a foregone conclusion for the team as well. On the flip side of that, we've got to address a cliche. There's there's an old line in football that says you can't make the club in the tub. And Curtis Bolton's performance could end up being curtains for Josh Jones because, say it with me, you can't make the club in the tub. That's a cliche, but it's somewhat or even mostly true. you got to be on the field to give so, uh, the team something to think about, something to look at when you're in competition for a roster spot. And I think, make no mistake, Josh Jones has been in, a, in competition for a roster spot since, like, whatever it was, May, April, when he announced that he wasn't going to be coming to minicamp or uh, the offseason stuff because he wanted a trade. Now, he hasn't played at all. And presumably, he still wouldn't turn down an opportunity to be traded somewhere else if he had such an opportunity. I think that has to be at least partly what the Packers are thinking, not putting him out there. You wonder how serious that injury is uh, for the the plain fact that if he gets hurt worse, you can't trade him at all. And then you, you end up with a lot of issues with an injury settlement and stuff like that. So Josh Jones may be in danger of not making the club because he spent too much time in the tub, but we might have to edit that statement a little bit because for him it's more like you can't make the club in the tub, especially if you made some weird trade demands in the offseason but then backed off those demands, but then the team went out and signed an undrafted free agent linebacker who basically plays the same position as you and then for good measure signed a guy who all but stole your job last year. That's basically the Josh Jones situation. Curtis Bolton in taking a role as that second linebacker is filling in as that athletic almost nickel linebacker hybrid type guy. And with the size and speed profile that he has, he's a lot more like a safety than a traditional linebacker. That's the Josh Jones role. And to make matters worse, like I said, they went out and signed a guy in Ibrahim Campbell who all but took Josh Jones's job last year. It's getting real tough to see a path to the roster for Josh Jones, especially if he continues to hang out in the recovery room. What I'm saying is sell your Josh Jones stock if you are still holding on to any. Get out while the getting is good. Related to this, Darius Shepard, or possibly even Alan Lazard, or both, is going to take Trevor Davis's job for pretty much the same reason. Right now, Trevor Davis is going to have to have all but a game for the ages to make the roster, and it's going to have to happen soon because you could see a situation where he doesn't even make it out of the next week on the Packers roster if he does, in fact, get healthy because they kind of have to wait to that point to, to release him or they have to do the whole injury settlement thing, blah, blah, blah. You know all that stuff. 
Uh, Trevor Davis is up against some t- some tough stuff here, especially with how Darius Shepard and Lazard played last night. Shepard, like we said before the game, is the concern for Davis because he does a lot of the same things that Davis does. So like Davis, or like Jones, for Davis you can say you can't make the club in the tub, but adding that, it's you can't make the club in the tub, especially not if this is how your training camp is going and have always gone, and your team went out inside a guy who does literally the same things as you and does them just as well or better as a rookie than you did as a third-year player last year before you got hurt after being hurt for most of the season anyway. There's the Trevor Davis story over the last year or so in a nutshell. He was hurt for most of last year, came back, was okay, but then got hurt again. And now he's facing competition from a guy who does basically the same things that he does. If Davis ends up not making the roster at all, you you have to see a little bit of irony there because he'll end up not getting a real great shake at a roster spot in his final camp in Green Bay because he got hurt on a special teams play. The thing that got him to Green Bay in the first place is all but going to end his time with the Packers. Some cruel, poetic irony there. Let's talk about quarterbacks for a second. I don't have a lot to say here because, man, it was just not special last night for either Kaiser or Boyle. It's not even that they were bad, but they certainly weren't great, or maybe even good, and they're both still pretty flawed as players. Again, I don't I don't really have a, a preference here. I think Kaiser has kind of been the default number two guy. We saw that again last night, even though he didn't get nearly as much playing time as Boyle did. But I think you, you have a hard time being like really in love with either of them as your top backup quarterback. The drive from Boyle after Curtis Bolton came up with that pick was especially disappointing because he had a short field and he really didn't do anything with the ball. That's frustrating to see as a fan, as somebody who, who quote-unquote covers the team. And it has to be disappointing for him because you want to go down and stick that one in the end zone, especially if you're, again, coming off a short field near the end of the half. That's like a tailor-made, hey, look at me, drive. You got to make something happen there. And Boyle was, was unable to do that. I don't know who ultimately is the better player, but I'm not sure it matters right now because this could end up being a situation a little bit like 2012. The Packers went into camp that year with Graham Harrell and B.J. Coleman behind Aaron Rodgers. They ended up cutting Harold during camp and adding Vince Young, and then they ended up cutting all three at different points of the the offseason or training camp or whatever and signed Seneca Wallace and Scott Tolzien as their backup quarterbacks. I don't know if there's a Wallace or a Tolzien out there right now, at least not one that I can identify. If the Packers did want to go that route and add a veteran quarterback, you're probably looking for someone who has experience in the Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur version of the West Coast offense, or potentially connections to Milt Hendrickson, uh, the former Baltimore executive who came over to the Packers this past offseason. I've seen people kick around the name Blaine Gabbert. I think that makes sense. Uh, he's in Tampa Bay. He does have some experience with the floor. He played there last year. That's not an option you're super excited about, though, for really obvious reasons. He just hasn't been great when he's gotten a chance to play, and he's gotten many chances on many teams throughout the league. It just hasn't ever really worked out for him. It's it's not a great situation. The Packers don't have a good backup quarterback, and it's been a long time since they've had a good backup quarterback. But on the other hand, I have a hard time getting real worked up about the backup quarterback situation, and I'll return once again to that anecdote that I use a lot. Uh, Tom Moore, the former Indianapolis Colts offensive coordinator uh, during the Peyton Manning era, was once asked by someone observing practice why none of the backup quarterbacks in Indianapolis were getting reps 
during practice. You know, what happens if Peyton Manning gets hurt? And he just turned to him and says, well, if 18 gets hurt, we're screwed and we don't practice screwed. He used a different word there, but you can see the illustration. The, the, the Colts identity was tied up in Peyton Manning. And if Peyton Manning went down, that was just going to be it for them. And that's kind of the situation you get when you're a quarterback heavy team, especially a team with a Hall of Fame level talent at quarterback. The Packers are built around Aaron Rodgers. And if Aaron Rodgers goes down, that's probably just it for them. That's, they need their quarterback to be really good. That's kind of the situation you put yourself in when you have a high-end quarterback like Rodgers. You look at these teams throughout the league that have brought in quarterbacks when their starter has gone down and had some success. I think pretty much across the board, they've been way less quarterback dependent than the Packers have historically been. Maybe that's a flaw in the Packers' construction of the roster, possibly, or maybe that's just a reality of how rosters work throughout the NFL. Even if you you do have a well-rounded team, if your quarterback goes down most of the time, you're just not going to recover. And it it shouldn't, shouldn't go without mentioning that even with their preferred starters, most teams in the NFL are at or below 500, plus or minus a couple games. I mean, just look at the draft order every year. Most of the the draft is teams that are 9-7 and seven or worse. That's just the way things work out, even with the guys that they have built their teams around uh, starting most of the games. Expecting there to be a backup quarterback that's going to come in and perform at even a comparable level is a, a nice thought, but a wish is not a plan. And I'm just not sure that guy is out there. Even if he is, I'm not going to spend a lot of time worrying about it because there are other issues on the Packers. And again, if Aaron Rodgers goes down... I think this is an entirely different team anyway. Before we get to a question from a listener here, I want to just go through a couple random thoughts from this game. Uh, Clearing out the notebook here. It was interesting to see the Ravens wearing white at home. I dislike the color purple as a uniform color, just kind of across the spectrum. I I don't see a lot of great-looking teams wearing purple out there, with the exception of the Ravens. And they do some interesting things with uh, with purple and gold and the way that they they, uh, kind of alternate their uniforms and stuff like that. It's interesting to see them wearing white at home last night. Uh, Sam Ficken opened the game with the kickoff last night. I don't know if that's an indication of how things are going for him or, or they just wanted to have another look at it, but I thought that was interesting. Um, the defense started a bit slow last night again, and that's kind of been a staple of Mike Pettin's defenses throughout last year's preseason, throughout this year's preseason, even throughout much of the regular season last year. They've they've kind of felt things out early in the game, taken some punches from the opposing offense and then kind of locked down as the game went on obviously they're running super basic stuff right now so it's hard to read into that too much I just think that is a this is a little bit interesting when draw any sweeping conclusions from it but I thought it was worth noticing uh, wide zone stuff as far as offense goes for the Packers has resulted in some really really cool looks and we saw a good one on the first drive last night the Packers started with a, a bunch formation to the left and ran a toss sweep to that side. The blockers outside of the left tackle, David Bakhtiari, blocked down, freeing Bakhtiari to pull out to the left side and lead the sweep. That was pretty cool to see, and I think that plays to a lot of his strengths really well. As an athletic lineman, it'll be cool to see him get opportunities to work in space. Saw that, I think, in the first preseason game, too. Somebody may also have just mentioned it from, from Packers practice, so that may be what I was thinking about. But if we get looks like that in this offense, that'll be cool to see. Uh, love seeing Adrian Amos out there. That was cool to see as well. And I loved his attitude when uh, the the Ravens tight end tried to hurdle him last night. He was just, he looked surprised and annoyed by it, which is, 
an attitude we haven't seen a lot on the Packers defense. Just that sort of like almost arrogant, like, are you serious? You're trying this on me sort of situation. There haven't been a lot of guys who can back up that sort of sort of attitude on the Packers defense in a long time. And Amos seems to be one of those guys. Uh, again, Deshaun Kaiser, not great on his first drive. Um, pretty much played like a 12th defender for the Ravens. Overthrows were bad. Uh, missed Jimmy Graham. Missed um, Devontae Adams. Just, just not super sharp. Over on the Ravens side again, Trace McSorley, speaking of uniform stuff, looked like he was playing Pop Warner football out there last night. Look at those shoulder pads. Go look it up on Google Images. It was hilarious. He looked like a punter or a kicker or somebody who just like a fan who snuck out on the field. Those His shoulder pads were like hilariously small. Uh, back on the wide receiver stuff a little bit, Jake Kumaro just keeps making the right plays at the right time. The best thing about Kumaro is he always seems to do things right. You never see him look confused out there. He always seems to know what he's doing and the right spot to go. And then he goes there and then he catches the ball when he gets there. He did have one pass that was thrown his direction, hit the ground last night. I don't want to call it a drop because I haven't had a chance to look at it again, but it was uh, an incomplete pass that did hit him, uh, his body. I'm not sure whose fault it was because sometimes those things are a little bit hard to determine. Uh, Late in the game, late in the third quarter, well, five minutes into the third quarter, uh, Kyler Fackrell came up with a sack and it was just the most prototypical Kyler Fackrell sack. Uh, they had a big push up the middle. Kyler Fackrell kind of got uh, stymied rushing from the right tackle side of the formation. Uh, the quarterback stepped up into the pocket and Fackrell just kind of disengaged briefly and the quarterback ran almost right into his arms. Uh, just a classic Fackrell 1% sack. I mean, when I say 1%, I mean he did 1% of the work. Everyone else kind of pushed the guy towards him, and he was there to just almost fall on the quarterback. I've seen Ben Fennell of The Athletic really push for the Packers to move on from Fackrell this year. I don't know if I'm ready to go that far. Because of the edge rushers they have in camp, he does seem like he is their number four guy. Whether or not he should be, maybe that's a conversation. But I'm, I'd be surprised if they moved on from him, but you never know. Finally, boy, is it annoying to watch uh, the opposing team's broadcast because I'm not sure uh, Jerry Sandusky and Brian Billick said a Packers player's name on four occasions last year or last night. The only times that it seemed like they actually mentioned a Packers player doing something is when a player got hurt. I don't think they even said Matt LaFleur's name until he challenged that off or that pass interference call in the second half. It was just a little bit sickening to the point of being super annoying, almost wanted to watch the game on mute. <laughs> Just the amount of um, over-the-top attention they gave to the home team. And I get that they're the home team broadcast, but at least you know bring up the other team's names when they're doing stuff on the field. Last night, they, they cut away from a play that was in progress to give us an exclusive shot of Mark Ingram doing a, a stand-up interview on the sideline, which is fine, but at least do a picture-in-picture. Picture. We didn't he- even see how the play turned out because they cut away so abruptly. That was that was really irritating, and I'm glad uh, that in, in just a couple weeks we're going to have actual announcers calling actual games uh, that will matter. Sure, we'll have to put up with Joe Buck occasionally, but uh, you know, I guess can't win them all. Uh, let's answer a listener question here while I've got you here. Uh, Brian asks, do you think that Green Bay might go with three tight ends and four running backs? One running back being Danny Vitale. My thought is that they might cut Mercedes Lewis and use Vitale as both a fullback and a tight end, thus saving a spot for an additional wide out or cornerback, whatever. 
your thoughts? I think that's a fair and well thought out question and there may be something to that idea. Here's what we know so far. The Packers are committed to fullbacks. Uh, they have shown that with their roster moves. They've shown that with the way that they've played offense in camp in these preseason games so far. And we know that the uh, Shanahan, LaFleur, Nathaniel Hackett offense does use fullbacks in ways that you typically see tight ends used. They split them out wide. They use them like an H-back. They use them as a traditional blocking fullback. They use them as receivers. Uh, and we've seen that from the Packers. We've seen that from everybody in that coaching tree. We also know that the Packers have, at least from my opinion, three tight ends locked in on the roster right now. Jimmy Graham, Robert Tanyan, and Jay Sternberger. Graham gets in because he would be a pain to cut at this point. Uh, Robert Tanyan gets in because he's played well so far, and Sternberger's in because he's a third-round pick from this spring, and he really hasn't played, and he can't cut a third-round pick unless you've actually seen something from him on the field, unless he's like atrociously bad or like drives his car into the team facility or something. So if you're going to cut a tight end at this point, as Brian points out, it's probably Lewis. And saving a roster spot is never really a bad idea. And if one of those guys is expendable, it does seem like it's Mercedes Lewis. However, with Sternberger hurt for most of camp, like we mentioned, and really not expected to contribute much this season anyway, I think it's hard to view their group of tight ends as really truly being four deep with one expendable guy. I think it's really three deep right now. You've got Graham, you've got Tanyan, and you've got Lewis, and Sternberger may come along later. So if you're cutting Lewis, suddenly you're down to two usable tight ends. And even if Vitaly does play a little bit of tight end in addition to being the fullback, that's a pretty shallow, shallow group. So if I had to guess, and this is consistent with what I've predicted in the past, I say they keep three running backs, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and whoever takes that third spot, um, a fullback, and four tight ends, and probably just go with six wide receivers. That seems to me the, to be the most usable distribution of resources. You've got depth and versatility at running back. You've got a fullback who can do a little bit of everything. You've got tight ends uh, that you can use in a variety of ways and not put pressure on them to play before they're ready. And then you've got six receivers, uh, most of whom are probably going to play significant snaps anyway, but are nice to have around. That seems to be a sensible lineup for me. Um, I'm open to conversations on that, but uh, that that seems like the reality to me. But good question and something that bears watching, especially as Vitaly recovers uh, from whatever, whatever is ailing him. So I've got for you on this episode. I do appreciate you listening. appreciate everybody who takes the time to download one of our episodes and listen in. If you like what you heard and want to help us keep things going, Give us some support by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. It helps more people find the show. If you want to take your support to the next level, the most straightforward way to do that is to donate a dollar per month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. A dollar per month helps offset our hosting costs for the podcast, for the website, and gets you access to some exclusive content, including a bonus podcast once a month, the August episode of which we are recording today. And don't forget to check out our great t-shirts and sweatshirts by click clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show or just want to say hi, you may reach us at thepowersweep.com through Facebook or Twitter or email. We do appreciate everybody who takes the time to reach out because every bit of feedback, every thought, every question you give us helps us make this show and the Power Sweep better, which furthers our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.